is Laren Baker, and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today, we're chatting with Sylvie Begar, an award-winning international food and travel writer. She is a regular contributor to the Washington Post, and her work has also been seen in the New York Times, Travel and Leisure, Departures, and more. She has also written many books, including her work with Chef Daniel Bouloud as co-author of Danielle, My French Cuisine. Her memoir, Cassoulet Confessions, will be released in August 2022. I am so excited to welcome Sylvie to the podcast. Hey, Sylvie. Hey, Liren. Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting. I'm so happy to see you. I love your background, by the way. The books are, are they organized in color order? I have to ask. They are. They are. And actually, this is my cookbook collection. Oh, those are all cookbooks. They're all cookbooks. Oh, yes. wow. It's, I'm sure you have some favorites in the bunch. But then again, it's probably hard to pick a favorite. Well, it's interesting. I actually, I was thinking about that for some reason today. Um, and one of my favorite is actually Paula Wolfert's Cooking of Southwest France. It's, oh. not a, it's not a new book, but it's got cassoulet on the cover. And since, you know, my book is, uh, is about cassoulet and my obsession with cassoulet, it's a book that I refer to often. Well, it's a wonderful book. Oh gosh. I on I don't own that book. I would love to. I probably should. <laughs> and I can only it, imagine how much you open that book, you know, when you're writing your own. Yes. Well, actually it's a, not a new book. If I'm not mistaken, it's from the seventies. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's been re-edited and uh and actually the cover, I'm gonna put it on so you can see it, but the cover has a has cassoulet, a cassoulet in a traditional cassole. Oh. Um, and actually, I'm in touch with the potters who created this cassole for Paula, and they're in Minnesota. Their name is Clay Coyote. Oh. They're half kitchenware, half art is really what they do, and uh, and I'm talking to them about creating perhaps a different kind of pot because uh this particular one for me is a little too conical but i mm -hmm. i feel we're we're getting into details here. we are but now <laughs> i have all these questions like why are they in minnesota i expect you to say they are located in france <laughs> no they're not um well actually when paula came back from her first trip in the southwest of france she brought back a cassol and then she oh. she found someone in the U.S. who could replicate that. Fascinating! Oh my so, god! Okay, we're we have so much to talk about. Wow. I know we do. We do. <laughs> okay. Well, I always start off by asking, "What's the first thing that you remember cooking?" And about how old were you? So I think the first thing I cooked was actually uh, I don't know if you consider that cooking, but I think it was a hot chocolate. Yes. That I made from scratch with my grandmother, my grand, my maternal grandmother Blanche, and that was in her house in Switzerland. I I, I was born in Switzerland, and both my grandparents um, at the time lived in Switzerland as well. And we were in the kitchen, and she, I remember, she um, helped me break some of the uh, chocolate bar. You know, there was a very thick and dark chocolate bar and we broke it in small pieces and it was very hard to break I think oh. I was five or six and what? uh oh my gosh 
yeah, we put we put that in a little casserole on the on the stove with you know Swiss milk, which tastes like heavy cream. <laughs> and we basically melted that and she you know she showed me how to turn the wooden spoon and make sure not to scratch the the little pot and it was very thick and intense hot chocolate there's some things very special about european hot chocolate i remember italian hot chocolate you know it sounds very similar it's it's very thick and very rich and so good and Nothing like the Swiss Miss packets <laughs> that you get here in the States. Hot chocolate in Europe is much less watery. It's never made with water. It's always made with milk, sometimes with cream. And uh, I think it's just a, yeah, it's a very different drink. Yeah, it's so heavier. Much so heavier, good. For sure. Yes, it's delicious. So Sylvie, you were born in Geneva, Switzerland, and you grew up between Paris and Lake Geneva, and which sounds like a dream to most people who live here in the States. It just sounds magical. Would you tell everyone a little bit about your childhood? I had a magical childhood. I really did. I grew up the baby of four. I was the fourth sister, and everybody took care of me. You know, each sister was a little bit like a mother to me. They were um, eight, 10, and 12 when I was born. Of course, everybody was hoping for a boy, um, but it didn't happen. And uh, I was born during actually one of Geneva's summer festivals called Les Fêtes de Genève, the Feasts of Geneva. And I was born during the, um, the Saturday night extravaganza. And uh, my sisters were watching the festival and uh, well, while I was born. So. <laughs> but, but yes, I, I did have a magical childhood. The location was particularly magical um, for anybody who has been to Lake Geneva. It has a very special position between the Alps, you know, and the Mont Blanc, the highest mountain in Europe. And on the other side, the Jura Mountains. And then you have this sort of turquoise lake, which is alive, you know, very much like, like the sea. And uh, we, could, we could see the sea from uh, the lake from, from the house I grew up in. And then on vacation, during vacation, we'd go visit my other grandparents in Paris because my mother was born in Paris. Mm -hmm. And in Paris, we went for hot chocolate again <laughs> um, at Angelina on uh, Rue de Rivoli. It's still there uh, near the Louvre. Oh. And uh, I still think it's the best chocolate. And now I think they're expanding. I think the brand is expanding. I've seen that, that brand in New York City where I live now. Huh, no kidding. The next time I go to Paris, I will make sure to seek it out and have some hot chocolate and think of you. Definitely. So it's served on a beautiful china cup and uh, it's served with whipped cream. And you're supposed to put the whipped cream in the chocolate. I mean, it is oh. decadent. <laughs> Sounds divine. So other than good chocolate, what are some of your other favorite food memories from childhood? Well, it's funny. Um, we had an interesting tradition growing up. My uh, mother 
asked me what I wanted to have on my birthday. Um, but I grew up in a wealthy family and we had a cook and we had a butler. And on my birthday, I took over deciding what the cook would make. How what, lucky are you? <laughs> and, what, and what the butler would serve. And I'm using the word butler, but in fact, it was a, a wonderful, uh, very gentle man who was there. And his wife, Carmen, was the cook. And I, I talk about that, obviously, more in the book. But one of my favorite dishes was very simple. I loved roasted chicken. And I still love roasted chicken. And I'm still always looking for an amazing roasted chicken, which is hard to find. True, true. <laughs> and I want to believe that at the time, um, of course, it tasted better because of, you know, the memory, right? The whole ratatouille story, yes. <laughs> you know, of the food critic who's transported back to his childhood. But I also have to think that it has to do with the fact that these particular chicken that we would cook were from the local farm. So of course they were free range. Of course they were organic. It was just a different kind of chicken. I mean, very different from what we get nowadays. You know, that brings back my own memory. I remember my mother, she grew up in the Philippines. And one of the things that she would say when I was a child was, the chicken here tastes different. Like she just remembered with such relish the chicken in the Philippines tasting so much more flavorful. So it's so interesting that you bring that up. And that's true. I mean, it's different breeds, different hybrids, who knows wh whichever version of the, the chicken we have here is completely different. So completely different. Makes yes. Sense. Yes. So did you always want to be a writer? Was, was this a goal for little Sylvie growing up? It would be really nice if it was, but in <laughs> fact, no, it's not. Um, I mean, I always loved to read, and that was because I associate reading with, with writing, um, obviously, completely. I remember once in school, the teacher, I think I was maybe 10 or 11, and my teacher called my mother in and told her, we have a problem with Sylvie. And my mother said, oh, yes, what, what is it? And the teacher said, she's a liar. Uh oh, and my mother was very surprised. She said, "Well, what is she lying about?" And the teacher, I remember Mademoiselle Darol, said to my mother, "She lies about the books uh, that she reads because she takes a book one day and she brings it back the next day and tells us she's read it." <laughs> and my mother said, "She's not lying. She reads all the time." And I wasn't lying. Um, so I did read all the time when I was a kid, and I loved writing. I loved creative writing. But no, it took me several different tries to find my passion hmm. for writing. I, ha I had a whole a different career before that. May I ask what that was before? Sure, sure. I, um, so I moved to New York, and I went to NYU, and uh, I, I went to graduate school for arts administration. Oh. And I ended up working as a publicist in classical music. So my, oh my first God. job was at Carnegie Hall. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, very different world. 
Wow. Gosh, my office was across the street from Carnegie. <laughs> really? Yes, yes. That's so crazy. What a small world. So then you were there, you were doing music, which is beautiful and creative, but then you switched eventually to food? So I I worked in the music world for about, I would say, 15 years, okay. um, several different positions. And then I ended up opening my own business. and. I was getting a little restless because, you know, some of us are sort of innate wanderers and it seems like I always get restless after, you know, maybe seven years. Is it the seven year itch? I don't know. (laughs) That's what they say. (laughs) That's what they say. But I was a little bored. I loved the music, but the, the business world around music was quite small. And so I thought, what are the other things that I love? And of course, it was food. Food was always, you know, my passion and travel. And it all started because I saw a an ad actually for a travel writing class. Oh. And I just thought, I'm going to try this. And I loved it. And it changed my life. Wow. That's so fast. I love hearing about second careers or third careers. You just never know where life will take you. And, you know, it's it's always so fascinating when people have such different backgrounds. And I loved my first career, but mm-hmm. it, w- it was a career. It was a job. And what I'm doing now is, I think, very different. It's passion. Mm. So you've had lots of food memories. You and I were talking about memoirs and I'm going to have you come back when your book comes out, but it's called Cassoulet Confessions, Food, France, Family, and the Stew That Saved My Soul, which is, I started reading it last week and it's, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm really enjoying it so much, but what led you to write a memoir and this memoir? So um, one of the first assignments that I got when I became a food writer was to go to France and report back on the history of cassoulet. At the time, this was 2008, and I was working regularly for a magazine called Food Arts, Mm -hmm. which is no longer in existence. And my editor, Michael Batterbury, Michael and Ariane Batterbury founded Food Arts magazine. They actually founded Food and Wine before that. So they were very instrumental in the food world. Uh, But Michael thought French was my first language, and he was planning, I think, a whole issue on cassoulet or on stews. I don't remember exactly. And he sent me to report on the history because uh, the history of cassoulet is quite interesting. There's a lot of legends going around, and many different people have many different versions of how this stew started and for some of our listeners who may not know what a cassoulet is you know it's sort of an orgy of bean herbs and all kinds of meats Mm -hmm. that's really all it is but sounds very simple but in fact there's so many versions and depending on what you put in there your stew appears you know looks one way or another And there's always a major mystery of how the crust is 
created. And if you look at Paula's book and that photo, mm -hmm. you see that this particular cassoulet has a major crust and some chefs put breadcrumbs. Let me tell you, I don't believe in breadcrumbs. And of course, I don't believe in cheese. You know, this is not a stew with cheese on top. Mm -hmm. And so when I first asked the chef who would then become my mentor, how does this crust happen? He looked at me and he said, magic. <laughs> and, and then I, you were hooked. <laughs> I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. Oh, I don't blame you. So why a memoir? You could have written so many other ways about cassoulet, but why a memoir? But I did write about cassoulet in many different ways. In fact, I wrote several articles. I wrote the piece for Food Arts. Mm -hmm. I wrote another piece for the Washington Post uh, travel section. I wrote for Departures. I wrote for Forbes. And Every year, my, my friends would sort of ask me, so what are you working on these days? And I would basically say, uh, a piece on cassoulet. And they thought I was nuts. And, again? <laughs> yeah, again? And, you know, the word cassoulet, it always makes people laugh. At least smile. If you know what it is, if you've tasted a cassoulet, mm -hmm. people have these memories Oh, yes, I remember I went to this little inn back in Toulouse. Or, oh, yes, it was, a, you know, a truck driver cafe and they had cassoulet as the special of the day. People have these memories. It's incredible. But some other people thought I was really nuts. And I realized that I couldn't shake that obsession. I went back there several times, back to the chef who in the book is named Eric Garcia and his restaurant, Domaine Balthazar. Don't look for it on Google because I've changed the names to, <laughs> to protect his privacy. But I went back there several times. I met with the duck farmer. I met with the bean grower. I went to see the pig farm. I went to pick herbs in the Black Mountain above Carcassonne. I did all of these things, and I went back to his kitchen and I apprenticed with him and still the obsession would not shake. And so I realized it was a book mm -hmm. and it took me a long time to create a structure that would actually make sense commercially, right? Because the goal was to have this book published. So mm -hmm. I wrote one proposal mostly about cassoulet, and people would say, oh, it's so interesting, but it's a little niche, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, or, or some, someone else, you know, a famous agent said to me, it's a very good piece, but I think it's a long read. It's not a book, hmm. you know, and I kept getting these roadblocks until I just decided I was just going to sit down and write the book. And I had heard about an artist's residence uh, near Carcassonne called La Muse, the Muse. Mm -hmm. And I went there for a few weeks and I started writing the book. Huh. So you clearly had roadblocks, but you didn't let that stop you, which I'm so glad you didn't because it's, it's, a, it's a charming book. I am really, I love it. But what are the other challenges to writing a memoir in particular? Well, 
there's many challenges in writing a memoir and there's many challenges in having a memoir published. Mm-hmm. Um, those are two different levels. Writing a memoir, I guess the major challenge is to create a story that obviously is based on something true, something that's happened to you. It's a very personal work, but it also has to resonate with people. Uh, And I think one of the most difficult things I did was to, I tried, and, and you'll have to tell me if I've succeeded, but to try to make my story resonate. You know, I'm the only one who had this particular childhood. Even my sisters had a different childhood because they came way before Mm -hmm. I did. But I think a memoir brings out family, love, hate, difficulties, communication, and in my particular case, also tragedy and and drama uh, that involve the history of, of my family during the 20th century. And so the challenge was to sort of understand how the story of Cassoulet could be much more than the story of Cassoulet. Hmm. It's interesting too, because when I think about people who have stories to tell, I think many people just automatically assume, well, one day I'm going to write an autobiography, but which is a completely different book than a memoir. And to me, I think the beauty of the memoir is that you can sprinkle in more of that, more of that passion, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, that you can't necessarily find in an autobiography, which tends to come across more textbook-like, if that makes any sense. And I feel like a memoir is much more like a novel with with truth (laughs) sprinkled in. Exactly. And when you think of the sort of ultimate, you know, recent memoir, Eat, Pray, Love, it's mm-hmm. it's a year, right? It's a year in the life of Liz Gilbert. And an autobiography would be, you know, I was born, da-da-da, and now I'm on my deathbed, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, and I, I really, I didn't think I had that many things to say about me. I mean, it was really more my parents and their different path and also the story of my late uncle Claude Falk who you know was born in 1918 in Sao Paulo and uh, died in 1944 in in the mountains of France in the resistance it's, it's all these all these destinies you know you have and, such a uh, rich family history too which yes. lends itself beautifully to your memoir but how do you how do you recall things so vividly? Do you keep a diary or a journal? Do you write about this? Have you been writing since childhood about everything? No, but um, I mean, my book, as you know, is quite short. It's I think 160 pages, something like that. It's a quick read, mm-hmm. and I think I've only zeroed in on the most important moments of the family life. And I remember those pretty well. Mm. So what have you learned after writing your book? (laughs) It makes me happy. Mm. It makes me happy to write. That's a very personal thing. Um, And I'm hard at work on my next book. But what have I learned? I've learned that um, maybe that there's no details 
really in memories that that everything that you remember is an important moment even if it, if it was just i mean just to give you a, a little example i remember very well when i had my first party at my parents house i'm sure you're not at this point in the book and i'm mm. not going to spoil it but no spoilers <laughs> no no exactly but i remember the party was in the basement and uh, i had decorated the whole room with you know lights and i mean it was the 70s okay <laughs> i don't i don't need to say anything else right? <laughs> it was pretty groovy <laughs> yeah it was groovy uh but i remember thinking i needed to get lipstick because my crush was you know not looking at me at all and i went upstairs to get that lipstick and uh, no spoilers but hmm. Oh my so gosh, I, I can't wait to get to that point. <laughs> oh. So what would be your advice for someone who thinks, I think I might have a memoir inside and I want to start writing it? What would be your, your little push for them? First of all, I think that remains to be seen, but I, I believe people are hungry for memoirs. I think that people, especially today, after what we've been through, um, we are hungry for human stories, mm -hmm. experiences, things that can make us dream, things that can make us hungry, mm -hmm. um, and you know, books that can make us travel, even if we can't travel still really in the same way that we did before. So I would say as advice to somebody, I would say just go for it. Just mm -hmm. don't don't listen to the naysayers and oh yeah, but the book publishing industry is dying and there's still a lot of books coming out and uh, I think if you have this sort of fire inside of you, go for it. Yeah, I think you touch on something really important there, especially now where everything is on social media, everything is immediate. And superficial. I love being able to dive into a book that can really transport you somewhere. And I miss travel. I haven't been able to go anywhere. As many people haven't. <laughs> Some people did, but um, I'm still kind of staying put. So for me to be able to open a book and be transported is such a treat. And also, I'm such a big believer in just really writing down your memories and passing it on for future generations. I think this is such a gift for your own family, for your children. Have they read have they read the book? What did they think? So my daughter has read it and she's a wonderful editor. So she's also, you know, helped me edit it. She's read several different variations of the book. And my son, um, let's say that uh, he I hope he'll read it sometime. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, a, kids. Oh my gosh. It's a struggle. Well, he'll he will read it one day and I'm sure it will mean so much to him. All right. I you've had so. so many life experiences. Do you think you have another memoir within you? Uh a memoir? I don't know. Um maybe I do. Um I'm working on a novel right now. Oh. Uh, so I did cross into the world of fiction. Uh, oh my gosh. Well, I can only imagine that must be so much harder or is it not for you? Maybe. I don't know if it's harder, but it's completely different. Mm. 
And, you know, every novel is based on something real. Right. I mean, whether it's something that happened to the author or, you know, something that happened and there was an article about it that someone read that spurred their imagination. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking about Anne Pachetta's Bel Canto, for example, mm -hmm. one of my favorite books of all time. You know, it was based on a, a real hostage taking situation. But another memoir, maybe, I will tell you what I have under this desk, which you can't see. I have a pile of maybe a hundred letters from my father. And oh, thought, that's a treasure. Yeah. And, and maybe at some point I will do something with, with those letters. Wow. Yeah, that would be a memoir. So I have to ask you one quick question before we run out of time. And I can't wait to have you back because I still have so many questions about Cassoulet and it'll I'll, by that time I'll be done reading it. So I'm excited. You mentioned that you live with your kids and one and a half dogs on your website. <laughs> so I have to ask, what are one and a half dogs? <laughs> so there's a dog who is my dog and then a dog named Java who uh, my ex-husband and I share. Oh. And so he used to come uh, and stay with us, you know, every other week, just like the children when they were little. I see. Now that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to interpret it in so many other ways. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lot easier. Oh, well, Sylvie, I wish I could talk to you all day, but I'm excited that I'll have Thank you back. You. And until then, I've got some closing questions for you. Sure. What's something that you make when you're too tired to cook an emergency go-to dinner? Mm, emergency go-to dinner. Maybe I just open a can of sardines. Mm. I, I love sardines. <laughs> and I, I put them on pasta. Yeah, um, nice and easy. And I, you know, I sort of break down the fish uh, with a little bit of lemon and that's it. It's delicious. Oh, so simple. What is the one recipe that you treasure the most? Oh, I think it's that tarragon roasted chicken from mm. my, my mother. Yeah. Good roast chicken. <laughs> yeah. Um, it has to have the crispy skin too. It does. It does. And at the time, nobody had a rotisserie. So mm -hmm. the chicken was not turning, but it still managed to be crispy everywhere. The perfect, that perfect bronze is always the treat. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you a messy cook or a neat cook? Mm, I'm a pretty neat cook. I, I clean as I go. Oh, so good. I wish I was cleaner. <laughs> What's a good kitchen tip? Um, a good kitchen tip. You know, I love my, uh, I, I, yeah, I know you didn't ask what it, it's a good kitchen tool, but what oh, comes no, that's to mind, too. what comes to mind is my wooden spoons. I have these wooden spoons and sp spatulas that I've had for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I see all these new fancy spatulas, you know, that people get, and I just don't see the point. Yeah. No, I was just actually reading uh, the other day about wooden spoons. And do you like oil yours down, like to prevent them from cracking, or do you just abuse them? <laughs> I abuse them. I've been abusing them for thirty years, and they're still okay. <laughs> they're fine. They're fine. Good to know. I try to share five little things 
once a week with my audience. And it's it's something that made me think or smile. Was there anything that made you smile recently? Oh, so many things. Um, made me smile yesterday to see my son cooking steak. Aww. And how he's 18 and how involved he was and making sure that the meat was cooked well and, you know, touching it with his finger, not being afraid to, to get burned, really getting into the, the cooking process. I love that. Oh, it sounds like he takes after you and knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> That's great. Well, Sylvia, where can people find you? And where can they learn more about where to order Cassoulet Confessions? Well, actually, Cassoulet Confessions is already available for pre-order mm-hmm. on Amazon and on IndieBound, as well as Barnes and Noble. And I just don't know that obviously the local, your local bookstores will have it at some point. I don't know if they take pre-orders. That's uh, it's worth asking. It's worth asking. We want those those local bookstores to survive and thrive. That's for sure. Absolutely. And then on social media, where can where can they find you? Well, I'm at Sylvie Bigar. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, even Facebook. <laughs> All the places. Yeah. Well, Sylvie, I can't wait to have you back. I'm looking forward to finishing my copy. I think I'll be done tomorrow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> maybe maybe two days. We'll see. But yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. So thank you again for spending time with me. And I can't wait to have you back. Thank you so much, Liren. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm so glad you were able to join us on this episode of Kitchen Confidant. Thank you again to Sylvie Begar for joining us today. If this has inspired you to consider writing your own memoir, I encourage you to go for it. And I hope you check out and pre-order Cassoulet Confessions. It really is so beautifully written, and I know you'll love it. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend. And join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.